0: Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Binchtown TV. This is Jim, and I'm here with Kyle. And today we have a very special episode for you all. National Geographic Shark Fest began on July 5th and will be continuing for six whole weeks throughout the summer. I don't know about you guys, but the Binchtown crew loves Shark Fest. Today we were lucky enough to have Dr. Mike Hitehouse join us on the podcast for a chat about sharks. He has two documentaries airing during Shark Fest, and they both sound amazing. On July 8th, The Croc That Ate Jaws will be premiering on National Geographic. This documentary explores what happens when two of the deadliest predators on the planet go head to head. How could you not want to see that? And on July 12th, Shark Attack Investigation, The Page Winter Story will be airing on National Geographic. For those of you who don't know... Page Winner was 17 years old when she lost a leg and a portion of her hand to a shark. Dr. Heithouse reviews details of the attack to determine what kind of shark was responsible and what can be done, if anything, to avoid this happening again. Dr. Heithouse's resume would take hours for us to read to you, but as a little teaser, he is a marine biologist or marine ecologist specializing in predator-prey interactions and the ecological importance of sharks and other large marine species. He is the Dean of College of Arts, Sciences, and Education and professor in the Department of Biological Sciences at Florida International University. He has done research in the only underwater research habitat at the bottom of the ocean, and he's even been on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno this is a great episode guys to so sit back and enjoy
1: hello 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 hey how you doing? doing good how are you good good i think i've got the kids kicked off all uh call of duty Fortnite, and any <laughs> other uh, video game to keep the uh the wi-fi solid here great great <laughs> That's smart. It's, it's a veteran move right there. <laughs> that is. We've had, unfortunately, 18 months to practice this, right? <laughs> right, exactly. I, ha- I have to do the Zoom background because the best Wi-Fi in my oh. house is in my daughter's princess and unicorn room. <laughs> so that might be a little too distracting if I was <laughs> to uh, just drop the uh, the background. Hey, we
0: wouldn't mind that background, but yeah. we like the shark background, exactly. too. <laughs> All right.
2: I mean, I guess to start, I guess give us a little elevator pitch. Let the people know what... Uh, Exactly. I guess the first question will be, how do you pronounce your last name?
1: Uh, Last name is pronounced Heithouse. Heithouse. Although I respond to Mike in a long pause very well, too. (laughs) Okay, because I I just hit you.
2: (laughs) So uh, tell the people a little bit about Dr. Highthouse.
1: Well, yeah, I'm a uh, marine biologist, and I have the great pleasure of getting to spend most of my time studying sharks, which uh, people are scared of mainly, but they are awesome animals. And I think, you know, the the most important thing I can tell people is that these are incredible animals. They're important to have in oceans. And uh, we want to have healthy shark populations, healthy oceans, because ultimately, those are important to people no matter where you live.
0: Yeah, let me just say, I'm very excited for this conversation, just because I did a lot of background information. And there's a lot of great stuff that I want to ask you about. But personally, for me, I was telling some of the hosts, off the podcast that I don't have many fears. I'm not scared of heights. I'm not scared of spiders or anything like that, but I I do have a little bit of of a shark fear. So I'm glad that one of the things that we were gonna talk about today was why we shouldn't be scared of sharks.
1: Well, yeah, look, uh, I think we all kind of have an innate fear because when you go in the ocean, You've got no control really. and right. uh, you know I was a swimmer in college. I think one of the reasons I got to be a decent swimmer is I saw jaws and I was terrified <laughs> at the deep end of the pool. So I swam yeah. as fast as I could to get out of even pools. You know that's the, yeah. the kind of tricks your mind plays on you even when logically you know you shouldn't be worried about it. And I think you know that's the thing. You go in the ocean, you feel really at risk. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that driving to the ocean was a lot more dangerous than getting in the water. Now, you know, that's where normally I'd say there's not much you can do to reduce your risk of being attacked by a shark because it's such a rare occurrence. But it turns out there are some things you can do that you would think wouldn't need to be said, like, you know, don't swim in a chum slick where people are trying to fish for sharks. (laughs) Right. You know, don't swim in big areas with lots of bait fish or food for sharks like seals and sea lions. And then if you know there are areas where there are sharks, like some places in California and in the Northeast now where there are white sharks, you know, let the sharks have those those spaces. But, you know, for the most part, we should go in. We should enjoy the oceans because the rip currents and the travel to the beach is a lot more dangerous than the sharks.
2: Yeah, that's the, uh, the classic line always that, you know, it's, it's more dangerous being in the car, driving a car. I'm not. Okay, so I'm afraid of sharks, like tangentially. So I'm afraid of like the open ocean, just that's me too. Being in the ocean and having just tens of thousands of feet of water beneath me, and not knowing what's in there, which you know would be sharks. But <laughs> I will say that I was actually at um I'm gonna butcher the name probably the city is it New Smyrna Beach in Florida. Yep, that um, you got it right. Yeah, our friend a friend of ours, actually the seventh host who didn't go to Penn State went to Rollins College in Florida, and uh we went down there one time and he was like, we got to go to this beach. Like, it's like the shark capital of the United States. Like we got to go there and, and go in the water. And it was like, I've never really felt nervous kind of just like hanging out and like knee deep, waist deep. But I was, I definitely, you know, didn't spend much time in the water when we were down <laughs> there.
1: Yeah. Well, now look, New Smyrna is a pl- place where I would go in the water. I mean, a lot of the sharks there that they're talking about these little, little sharks that oh, are okay. in the nursery areas. So, uh, you know falling on the rocks might be a little bit more uh, dangerous than than those guys are. But you know, look, you get big big schools of bait. You might want to get out of the water, those little fish people, you know, sharks can mistake uh, hands or feet. and and usually, when you see bites, it's it is that kind of mistaken identity, you know poor water visibility. But you know, for the most part, sharks are out there doing their things. and the fact is they are doing amazing things. and that's why, you know, this is my favorite time of the summer. Uh, not only do I get to uh, share some of the cool shark adventures I've had with the public, but yeah, Shark Fest—you got six weeks of amazing adventures to kind of take you around the world and see all the awesome things going on with sharks, the amazing diversity, and hey, you even have Thor this year. I mean, uh, Chris Hemsworth. So ah, you know, there you go. There, wow. There's an audience for that for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So Shark Fest uh, started on July 5th, correct? And then we have, like you said, six full weeks of content. And your documentary is going to be coming out on July 12th.
1: Yeah, I've actually got two this uh, this year. So we've got one coming up on the 8th here on Wednesday called oh. The Croc That Ate Jaws, uh, which uh, some colleagues and students and I are going out to look at uh, crocodiles and alligators that are starting to eat sharks and, and answer that wow. question, croc versus shark, who wins? Um, and then on the 12th, uh, we, we had... I had the amazing ability to uh, meet Paige Winter, uh, mm-hmm. who, when she was 17, was attacked by uh, what we think was a bull shark. And, you know, talk about just an amazing person that we can all learn something from. You know, this this horrible event. She doesn't blame the sharks. She doesn't hate sharks. Even right after it, you know, she she realized that this was just really bad luck. Right. And we had the opportunity to take her out on the water and get to see big sharks from the other side and, and why we want to study them and protect them. And, and, you know, just her positive attitude and, uh, you know, love of nature, which includes sharks is, is really inspiring to me. So it's a great story of kind of her perseverance and, uh, you know, the role that, that sharks play in her life now.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, we're just kind of, you know, cover some bases reading up on a bunch of stuff before this. And I was blown away by her quotes afterwards, um, I can't imagine how anyone could, you know, have that positive attitude. Like she had even positive attitude on life, but then a positive attitude about sharks themselves, which was like, yeah. that was, that was pretty, that's pretty amazing from her.
1: Yeah, it was. And, you know, they, when we were going out there and doing the investigation, I mean, I think this is something a lot of us ask when, when something bad happens, like, what did I do wrong? You know, what, what right. could I done differently? Was it my fault? And, you know, sometimes in, in, uh, with sharks in life, it's a there's nothing really wrong. You can't stop living your life and just bad luck. Right. Uh, And, you know, we can kind of go through all the lists of maybe it was this, maybe it was that, but at the end of the day, it's not really productive. You know, no horrible mistakes were made. Her dad being there jumping into action, you know, he saved her life. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, it's a real story of, you know, somebody keeping their head in a terrible situation and, and providing the care needed to, uh, to get paged through that and, uh, have the best outcome possible.
2: Yeah. So you said you have two documentaries coming up, correct? Yep. And then yep. you also in the, during, at some point in the year, you find time to get to Australia. I read, um, you know, you have done a lot of things in a K K through 12 with students. Uh, we've seen you get a late night spot on Jay Leto a few <laughs> years ago. I just, the question is how do you find the time to do all of this?
1: Well, it's a few things. Number one, copious amounts of caffeine. So sleep is (laughs) overrated. At least that's what I keep telling myself. But really, it's about having amazing teams and and putting together groups that love working together. I have incredible students who are doing amazing work and are teaching me things all the time. You know, I guess I'm the kid that never grew up. So (laughs) I love trying to inspire other people and especially kids. And, you know, personally, one of the things I never want to hear again in my life is science is boring. Because how is that possible unless we've killed everything to do with it? So, yeah. you know, things like Shark Fest really help us inspire kids and and the rest of the world. And so we're trying to figure out how we bring that into the classroom too. That that excitement, you know. And uh, I guess I have no filter and no shame, and so you know, going out mm-hmm. there and, and sharing things, you know, amazing experiences, traveling around the world, uh, you know, getting to to sit next to Jay Leno and and Cameron Diaz, which you know, kid from the cornfields of Ohio is not what you would expect uh, and to I, be in that situation. But, you know, always take that path in life that, uh, you know, you calculate what's safe and what's not, but, you know, taking those chances to do amazing things. Um, it's one of the lessons I want kids to learn. It doesn't matter where you came from or what you do, you know, you can, work hard and chase and follow your dreams but you're not going to get there alone. You need that support, you need the teamwork and and that is one of the great things about what I get to do as well.
0: Yeah, that's amazing to hear and my fiance would love to talk to you because she what you were saying science isn't boring or anything like that. She's a chemist. She has her masters in chemistry from Villanova and her whole entire life, she just loves science. And anytime someone tries to tell her, "Oh, that's that sounds boring," or "What are you doing?" I have no idea what you're talking about. No way, no way.
1: <laughs> and chemistry people, I think, oh, that's just lab coats and goggles, and it's all white guys. That is not the case anymore. You know, yep. there is amazing things going on. I mean, some of our chemists here at FIU—they're teaching dogs and learning about how dogs smell things. They create, yeah, trained dogs that can sniff agricultural diseases, COVID. Um, amazing forensics. They help us with our work on sharks. You know, we're using to figure out what these sharks are eating without looking in their stomachs even. And so, you know, it's, it's a, an amazing world out there, no matter what part of science or technology you're interested in.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I, and I must say you did phenomenal on Jay (laughs) Leno. I would have been so nervous.
1: Oh, I, I don't think I took a breath the whole time. I was so nervous.
0: <laughs> well, you couldn't tell. But the one thing I actually wanted to ask was what you talked about on the Tonight Show was the critter cam. And yep. I did see a lot of the things that you brought up with the critter cam was mainly with seals and whales. Have you been able to use that with sharks at all? Or
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're using them all the time. And the cool right. thing is it's not just, uh, just us anymore. There are people all around the world using these. Uh, in one of our shows, we actually put a tiny little camera on one of these baby bull shark so we've shrunk the cameras enough that we can wow. you know you can work with those little guys we put a camera on an alligator for the show on wednesday
0: that's great so
1: we're really you know exploding the universe of what we can learn and, and kind of the next horizon is we're getting cameras that have night vision capabilities and can survive crushing depths wow so yeah next horizon is we're going to be putting cameras on animals in the deep sea and uh, opening up new worlds we've never seen before and, you know, putting them on for days at a time instead of just a couple hours. So, you know, the, the trash can size things that we had when <laughs> we were doing the work that we talked to Jay Leno about, you know, now because everyone wants a tiny cell phone with battery that lasts all day right. and has tons of memory, that technology we just bring over to, to using on on animals like sharks. So and, uh, and
0: that's unbelievable. Just I mean, my next question was going to be, has it been updated? And I figure it would have been, but just it's only five years ago. It was yeah. it was 2016 that that the interview was published. It, that was when it came out, correct? With Jay
1: Leno. Oh yeah, definitely. Actually, the, that first ran in 2003. 2003. Wow. So I was. <laughs> like, Wait, no. I probably should have. N- I am not that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you don't yeah, look so i looked a long time ago
0: so that was posted way later okay yeah because yeah. yeah. yeah, i mean it, how long has he been out of the tonight oh, show i should
1: yeah. have yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably known that the, we did that pre-internet wow. just, you know, really. <laughs> that's amazing uh, yeah, wow we had, we okay okay a while ago we're catching up with posting things i mean that was back in the day where uh we had to record all that video on videotapes and probably oh, some wow. of audience has no idea what i'm talking about we didn't have flash drive so We had these really big cameras because the size was set by how big your storage of the videotape was. Now it's really limited just by batteries. So every bit of update we get in battery technology, we can shrink these cameras. We can make them last longer. And so we're kind of constantly updating the technology to do new amazing things.
2: That was a comment that I had mentioned to, to Jimmy before we recorded is that it seems like you are always, obviously you're an academic. But at the same time, you're very integrated with new technology and how you can kind of not push the boundaries, but how to integrate technology into teaching people and learning more about yourself, Well, I'm sorry, learning more about sharks. And I had read that drones are kind of somewhat getting involved in this. And I'm really curious of how drones could be helpful because the cams make sense because you can get under the water with them. Tagging animals makes sense because you know it's staying with the animals under the water. But the drones thing was interesting to me because I didn't see how it would be that helpful
1: well the cool thing is we got two different kinds of drones you got the drones that go up in the air and those can be really helpful in clear waters because you know you have to be able to see the bottom but you can cover so much territory that you couldn't before so we've used them in places like uh french polynesia which is where you see underwater behind me (laughs) you can cover huge areas and because you use a little bit of math and you know the height of the drone you know exactly how much area you're covering So we can actually figure out how many sharks are there by extrapolating that to big areas. Whereas when we dump cameras in the water, we don't know how fast they're moving. It's kind of hard to figure out just how many sharks are there. And from the surface, you can sometimes see aspects of behavior you can't underwater. So they're really useful for that. Now, there are also people building underwater drones now. And this is kind of one of the new bits of the future where The challenge is you don't have GPS underwater to know exactly where they're going. (laughs) But you can have them surface every so often, have cameras all over them. And so, you know, that really provides a window into these animals. And I think one of the things that we want to start working with more are some of these drones that can follow animals. So put a tag on the animal and have it follow it from that third person view. Because one of the frustrating things about having a camera on an animal is, you don't get the view and they react to something and you're trying to, what's going on over there? And you right, can't right. see it. But with the third person, you can see it. You know the, the 360 cameras, we've put a couple of those on turtles already. And it is amazing. It's like you put the goggles on and you're riding on the back of a turtle. You can get dangerous Otherwise, uh, the problem is the batteries on those don't last very long at all. Okay. <laughs> and so- okay. Right now it's more of a proof of concept, but if there are any engineers out there listening, give us an email. We need to help <laughs> tear those apart and put
2: bigger batteries in. <laughs> okay, that would be that would be awesome if one of our listeners gave you the idea for that. Right. Be <laughs> well, fun.
1: Hey, look, that's the fun thing. We we need people from all yeah. different disciplines that to help us with with the, this work. So that's uh, cool.
0: So going back to the critter cam, now I know it was 17 years ago. <laughs> you don't look any different. That's why I got it wrong.
1: Your goodness, <laughs> well, you know, A uh, little bit of extra workout during the pandemic
0: here. <laughs> there you go. So I, I remember when I was watching, you were saying that a lot of them only would stay on for a few hours. But now that you have the updated technology, besides the battery issues for certain things, are you able to keep it on for a lot longer now to, to get all of your data collected?
1: Yeah, we, we can keep them on for really long periods yeah. of time. You know, we can, a couple days on whales, a couple days on sharks is no problem. Uh, the bigger problem is how far are they going to go and how far are we going to have to drive a boat to try to find the camera? Right, right. But yeah, there's a group of scientists from Japan and California that just glued cameras on uh, sea lions that were on them for a couple months. And the computers only turned them on every so often. So they got video from 37 days after wow. they left the beaches. And wow. so. You know that's the kind of cool stuff that's going out there, uh, generally in science. And uh, because the technology gets cheaper all the time, it's great because it means more people can use it, and it's mm-hmm. not just super well-funded, uh, expensive projects. So I think, you know, that's what we're seeing in the internet and all, everywhere else is: is we can get citizen scientists involved, and more people from more places. Uh, we're going to learn more, and, and the next frontier is going to be computer scientists figuring out how we can go through all of these hours and hours and hours of video to find the neat stuff or to to collect the information uh without armies of people staring blankly at a screen uh, <laughs> recording videos for hours yeah. I, I, hey look my my mom's i think up to three thousand hours of video she's watched for us in the last couple of years for one of our projects so uh, you know we're even getting the family involved
0: i hope i hope you're paying her well <laughs> uh, anyway (laughs) so again with this critter cam the one video that i saw was with the suction cup and in the video you were on the boat that when they were trying to get the suction cup onto the whale right and the enthusiasm was so awesome to see how does that work now with the new technology and, and now that we're specifically talking about sharks how would you have the cameras stuck to them now
1: well, you know, with the whales, we still use suction cups. And okay. we've got suction cups that can last a bit longer. And I still get just as excited as I did yeah. uh, 17 years ago. We had a project just on sperm whales and uh, got video with a, a squid in the mouth of a sperm whale a thousand meters down, wow. um, which was pretty amazing. But um, for the sharks, their skin is like sandpaper. So a suction cup mm. can't stick on there. So usually what we do is uh, create mounts that hold onto the dorsal fin. And then they have a link that dissolves or a computer that breaks the link. So it kind of comes off the fin and they float to the surface. Wow. Basically, depending on how you put it on, they may last days or weeks um, on the shark. And so a lot of times when we're doing that with the sharks, we have them, we've caught them there next to the boat. Okay. Uh, But, you know, we now have developed uh, different ways of putting these cameras on by hand, whether it's some... uh, intrepid person like me uh which <laughs> a I, graduate don't, student. I, I don't tell mom before i go do this <laughs> right uh, but you know just swim down to the hammerhead and put it on by hand or now uh smarter people than me uh, design poles so you can be you know a couple arms lengths away and just slip it over the dorsal fin so you know that's our preferred method so we don't actually have to catch the sharks they go back to their normal behavior uh sooner but you know pretty much for each animal we we have to tailor how we put cameras on, how we handle them uh, to be able to get the data we need and uh, have the, the least impact on the sharks that we can. That's nice.
2: That's how, great. Okay, this is a question I'm personally very curious about. How was the first time you ever went swimming with sharks? Were in the water with them?
1: Well, let's see. My heart rate went to about uh, 6,000 beats per minute. And <laughs> I probably went through a, uh, a scuba tank that would normally last me an hour and about seven minutes. Um, uh, <laughs> wow. and that was just with little reef sharks, uh, yeah. that are nothing to worry about. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm always hesitant in working with new animals in terms of knowing their behaviors. And then you get more comfortable as you know, the signals they're giving you. And, you know, we're working with, uh, National Geographic and for shark fest, you know, it's a real pleasure to work with some of the best in the business in terms of the, uh, camera folks that, that are doing the, the jobs. And, and they've spent so much time in the water with these animals. They can read the body language. So, you know, the situations with the animals, I've never really felt dicey with since then. You know, it's all what's in my head, mm-hmm. not what the animals are doing. Right. Um, and usually the biggest danger really is it's the sea conditions, it's boats with propellers, and it's the things that we can control that actually tend to be where we have to be the most careful. And, you know, we, we obviously, it, it's dramatic, it's uh, impressive, but um, there is a whole lot of safety work going on and and we're not doing things that we aren't comfortable or are safe for ourselves and for the animals, too.
2: That's cool. Do you ever kind of find yourself not getting complacent, but like the, the excitement about it wears off? You've done it so many times or a swing with sharks, always something that just kind of gets the heart rate up and you get excited for it.
1: You know, it always gets me super excited. I mean, and more now than ever. I mean, I can't wait to get back out there. I've been sitting around uh, (laughs) uh, in my office and in the house for too long. Plenty of time
0: Um, to watch those hours and hours of videos that you collected.
1: Exactly. (laughs) No excuses to not get through those. But yeah, I mean, my excitement level is still there. And even handling sharks next to the boat that same level of excitement, but also kind of focus because these are big animals and you just cannot get complacent. Right. Um, because just bad luck can happen. Underwater, I don't know, they're just such amazing animals. It's it's always just exhilarating to be down there. And, um, you know, I think the more time you spend, you actually, it becomes more enjoyable because instead of just saying, oh, wow, it's a shark, you see new things because you're seeing their behavior, you're you're seeing what's going on. And really, for me, it doesn't matter why I'm going out. When I'm out on the water, I am always super excited because you never know what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how long you've spent on the ocean. Every minute, there's a chance you're going to see something amazing that you've never seen before. And I think that sense of exploration is is one of the things that I really love about this. And and also one of those pieces in science that that kids and the whole public need to know. We don't know everything. If mm-hmm. we knew everything, it would be boring. You know, science right listed facts it is about exploration whether it's chemistry at a tiny microscopic sub-microscopic level or you know if it's big things like sharks or the whole planet i mean there's amazing stuff out there and, and exploration is very much alive
0: and Kyle was talking earlier about being blown away by some of the stuff that he was reading. I believe it was in the TED Talk that you were a part of with the Aquarius. Uh, but we I, I guys went,
1: did some serious research. We did, it was so Holy interesting God. to
0: watch. But this I can't been,
1: hide anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I want to talk about the Aquarius in a second. But the thing oh. that really got me was there is the quote saying only five percent of the world's oceans have been explored so far at the time of the video, which is unbelievable.
1: Yeah,
2: we might be up to like, what, 5.1? Yeah, something.
1: right. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's like, what does that exploration look like? I mean, we just had a big increase in the mapping of the seafloor in the Indian Ocean as they were looking for MH370. So you have these little events that cause us to have these kind of bigger explosions of exploration. But what's mapping the seafloor? That's not really, Yeah, you know, that's that's the first step. You haven't really gone down there to see what's going on. And so, you know, that that percentage is not going up very fast. Yeah. Um you know, we're we're doing a better job of using satellites and you know trying to explore areas in the in the coastal zone that are shallow to look at reefs, but you know, it's amazing how little we know. And yeah, the work I did in Australia, we were looking at one bay and looking at an area that was maybe you know, like 50 miles by 20 miles, a box about that size. And we spent 20 years working there. And feel like we know how it works pretty well, why those tiger sharks are so critical, but still you just know how much you don't know. And and that was just intense work for 20 years, almost year round the whole time. And uh, yeah, the, the oceans are huge. We're still finding new species of sharks. I mean, a new species of whale was just described. It's 40 feet long. Wow! So how do you miss that? <laughs> right. That's a good point. So, <laughs> yeah.
0: That is a good uh, point.
1: A cool world out there. And, and you know, look, Aquarius reef base that you talked about. Mm-hmm. It's a school bus sized uh, habitat in 60 feet of water. It's the last research and education habitat underwater in the world. I mean, how is that possible? And, you know, right now we're actually in the process of uh, putting together the plans for a new habitat that's going to be even more amazing, that's going to define kind of one place underwater exploration for the next 25 years, hopefully. I mean, imagine living underwater where a whole wing of a habitat is nothing but clear acrylic. Wow. Wow. It's just like being, you know, it'll be amazing oh, so, wow that, yeah, sound, that, that sounds that sounds amazing inspire, so that gives me goosebumps just yeah. thinking it well we're
0: getting it too <laughs> yeah that's awesome
1: Good.
0: <laughs> yeah I mean this Aquarius was so interesting to me and I, and I I was gonna ask you that question because at the time again of the video it was the only it was the only habitat and so for for all of our listeners we had a little bit of a break there we're gonna have to fix that in editing <laughs> <laughs> a
2: little bit of a wi-fi issue. a little
0: bit of a Wi-fi issue but we were talking about Aquarius and and actually, it was funny because I was blown away again that you had Wi-Fi down there. Having Wi-Fi in the Aquarius all the way at the bottom of the ocean is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, it's faster than I've got in my house. Um, I will so not cool. uh, tell the guilty who, who my Wi-Fi company is. But yeah, <laughs> a cable that goes from the habitat up to the surface and then punch it through the air uh, to to shore five miles away. And yeah, it's incredible. So we got live... Live internet, you can catch up on your uh, your shows while you're down there, whatever you want. And we've had missions there for up to 31 days at one time. And there's no reason we can't go longer other than uh, people uh, feeling like they've spent too much time in a, in a small container. But for the best missions, you're not in there very much because the reason you live underwater is that instead of going for dives that last an hour, you can be spending nine hours outside every day in the, in the coral reefs, so you really become part of the reef and can get about six months of work done in, in six days. So it's, it's really astounding. And you know it's just another part of the, the exploration that's just so amazing. And you can know, you do everything there from uh, marine sciences that's really important to training astronauts. So a lot of times before astronauts go to the International Space Station, they train at Aquarius. Want to figure out how to mine a near-Earth asteroid? Well, if you're underwater, you can kind of adjust your buoyancy to be like microgravity so you can work out all the the kinks underwater and then take it a little bit uh further uh, up in altitude. That is fascinating.
0: That, and that's why it's even crazier to hear that there's only one. You feel like there should be definitely more if there's so yeah. many uses for it. And and for the 31 days, is that the the record of when you were saying that there's been uh missions up to 31 days?
1: Well, uh in Aquarius Historically, there have been even longer ones. Oh, okay, uh, okay. We're first starting this exploration. But you know, part of what we're trying to do now is figure out what the new capabilities are we need in the next generation of habitats because we're probably going to want to simulate what it would be like to travel to or be on Mars. Um, you know, And I want to put a broadcast studio down there so we can be you know, even more efficient at, at uh, linking the whole world up to uh, the coral reefs and the Florida Keys live Um, with the people that are down there, but also just always able to see what the habitat's like and and what's going on on the reef.
2: That's awesome that you say that, because I was going to kind of ask a a question a little bit similar to that. I feel like now we're seeing the rise of, obviously podcasts wouldn't work as well, but like Twitch streaming and live streaming and all this kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, like alternative media. And I was curious of of how, if you had any plans, you or you know, any plans of, of kind of, the ways they want to get into things like that, like live streaming. I know there are some nature cams, but I feel like a lot of it has to do with like zoos. I know I've definitely spent a long time watching like a baby giraffe on a live stream before, but (laughs) I was curious if there was anything, um, you know, with sharks or with just the ocean in general.
1: Well, you know, there, there are cams out there like looking at a reef or just kind of static. And I think that, you know, with Aquarius where you've got that power where you have a high speed internet there, we want to take that to the next generation of, you know, maybe actually being able to have cameras out there that people can control and collect data wow. um, or have more of, of a podcast that's scheduled where we're actually able to interact because you know, it's one thing to just be able to observe and, and move things around. It's really different when you've got somebody there who you can listen to live And the great thing with Aquarius is we actually link up live to classrooms. So the kids can actually ask us questions. So it's interactive like we are right now. And, uh, you know, imagine that. It's like, hey, look behind me. That is a Goliath group. Well, not in this one, but in Aquarius (laughs) it would be. Right. Uh, We actually have, I think, uh, gray reef sharks pretty much behind me. But, uh, you know, to be able to see that and uh, talk about what's going on in real time, it just has a very different effect on people to feel connected to what's going on there, even the, to a live camera, for example. So I, I think that is the future. It's uh, higher tech, but it's also higher touch.
0: I mean, there's no way that having with this when you if you have a broadcast studio or being able to bring it from the Aquarius to the classrooms, that someone could say science is boring. There's yeah. no way.
1: <laughs> no way, there's no way, no way at all. We are gonna get rid of that. We're getting rid of it with Shark Fest, we're gonna get rid of it with the Medina Aquarius program. You know, and that's one of the things that we're really, you know, at, at Florida International University, we're really focusing on. And we're actually building up a whole exploration uh, and inspiration program here. And, uh, you know, we we want to train our scientists to be the next generation of great communicators and role models for, for kids out there. But we also want to be bringing science to the public in, in a way that's exciting. But also, I think one of the big challenges we have now is, you know, the the faith or trusted science has kind of been eroded. And, you know, science is kind of just another talking head screaming on the TV. And we got to break through that so that people really know what scientists do, what science is all about, and that, uh, you know, it's it's a trustworthy thing to uh, invest in as we, uh, you know, try to get out of pandemics, protect mm-hmm. the oceans and and solve some really big challenges we have uh, around the world, but I think as much as you hear about all the the challenges, and sometimes it can feel like doom and gloom. You know, I'm still fairly optimistic that uh, we can develop solutions, we can get them done, and uh, that that the future can be a pretty amazing and inspiring place.
2: I've been curious because we talked to Liz a little bit about in our intermission. Um, you know, I I went to graduate school. I learned. You know, I studied a lot about climate change. A lot more relating to how human development kind of has that interplay with it, of it, it causes it, it's impacted by it. But for the average person that like you had mentioned, there's, there's a lot of things out there that, you know, there's a lot of causes you can get behind. There's a lot of things you can worry about. And I was just curious of what your thoughts were for the average person, specifically speaking about sharks and kind of, I guess, in a larger picture, just marine biology in general of after the six weeks of shark fest, and after the summer's over, how do we keep people engaged with these kind of topics in and in, in this area?
1: Well, I think the engagement's easier than ever with the things like podcasts, like Twitch streams, that to to have cool content coming out. You know, we got to get those those viral videos that then lead back to to what people can do. So there's the keep the engagement, but then it's realizing that we all really can do things in our daily lives. I mean, to me, it's inspiring, you know have to replace a car that the wheels are about to fall off on because I've driven it to death. Mm -hmm. And to to hear just a regular car dealer say, look, in in five, 10 years, you're not going to get a gasoline car in this showroom. You know, the speed at which we are doing things to electrify the grid, to move to alternative fuels, anything we can do to help with that is good. You know, we've got seafood guides like Monterey Bay aquarium where you can find fish that is sustainably harvested and, and make choices that reduce your impact uh, on the world around you. And and frankly, though, you know, it comes down to we all have to get behind some of the big solutions that are going to require the government to get involved. Yes. But I mean, I think the thing is, you you see people who are even very conservative. What's good for the planet's good for business. And, you know, you might be having a short term trade off, but long term, the opportunities in investing in clean, sustainable technologies and processes, there are a ton of jobs there. But it kind of comes back to the things we have to do to protect sharks which is not just say you can't catch sharks you have to work with the people who are affected um, and help them get through the challenging times and recognize that we do have you know issues and you can have winners and losers so you got to work to make sure that everybody has a piece in it and you don't have people feeling like they're getting behind or losing out but that they have opportunities as well and that's where we're seeing a lot of traction for sharks is working with those fishing communities who you know they want to have a great future too. So it doesn't help them to overfish sharks, but they might not have the tools or been part of the discussion. And so you know, I think that's one of the exciting things is we've got these opportunities to work with people, work with these amazing uh, animals and places that to have a, a future that's better for for everyone and the ecosystems that support us.
2: Yeah, I would say that
1: your optimism
2: makes me feel
1: good. Good. Yeah, well, we can't sit back and be complacent. Oh, but, right, you know, we, of course not. We got this.
2: Yeah. Okay. I like that. Cause I just think it's very easy to, to read things. I mean, especially if you don't dive into the really dive into news, you know, you kind of scroll and read headlines and stuff. It's just, it seems like every day, every week, there's a new report that's out. That's bad. You know, that's things are going wrong, you know, in, in some way. So it's nice to hear a little bit of positivity in that arena.
1: Yeah. Look. You know, there, there, there are plenty of big challenges. And the more we learn, the more we learn where those are. And so you can get focused on it. But I think the key is to quickly move from, oh, my goodness, to how can we fix this? And what can we do to make it, uh, you know, make the world a better place? And, you know, we see in a lot of areas where things have improved, you know, that the work that you've done on water systems. I mean, they're big challenges, but think how much better a lot of our waters and rivers are today than they were in the 70s. I mean, I grew up in Ohio. We had a river catch on fire. So <laughs> you know, the waters off California were you know, virtually dead in some areas, but people came up with solutions. Governments had the guts to enact the regulations we need. And now industry's doing fine, but we have waters that are clean. Um, and getting better and, and the big awesome species that people want to go spend money to go see through ecotourism are coming back so you know it's it's important to know that they're the good they're the bad and you know that helps us get through the big challenges as we we move forward and and it's partially seeing the opportunities that are out there and uh you know not just the problems
2: so the the term ecotourism just kind of caught my ear right there i i Recently read a book called The Six Extinction. I forget the woman's name. Um, it's a I guess it's a fairly famous book. But she was focused on coral reefs. She kind of discussed a lot about how people want to go see the Great Barrier Reef so bad, but then they go there for like a little bit. They don't really treat like the area itself well. They're focused on seeing the reef. Technically speaking, everyone kind of hops on a plane to get down to Australia, so it's somewhat counterproductive. What is your kind of take on? that balance between people want to go see all of these natural sites, but if millions of people flock to these places, it does have kind of a negative impact on them.
1: Well, I mean, it's hard to do this without having no impact. And I think that's where it's really important to see whole pictures. And so if you look at the whole picture, you've got carbon being used when people are flying places, but there are ways to have carbon offsets. But if you think about those people that want to go see it, if we educate them and engage them properly, and they make a lot of decisions in their daily lives to help reduce their overall footprint or to provide the political support for their leaders to enact big, global, ambitious targets or to change how we get our power. That's going to be a net positive. If people don't see it, they don't care, they don't see a connection to it, then they're probably going to go about their lives the way they normally do it. So I think it is a balance. And I think it, it does get to that point that you know life is kind of trade-offs. And so we got to figure out how we navigate those. But I think that's why it's so critical that we, you know, inspire people, but then give them those tools of, you know, understanding that this won't be here for future generations to see if we don't make certain actions. And, you know, life is all about trade-offs. And, you know, on Wednesday, you'll see about some of those for baby bull sharks that have to decide whether they're going to get a bit of food or they're going to risk running into predators. And, you know, the Things you'll see on Shark Fest with animals making these decisions of of how to trade off getting a meal and not becoming a meal are similar to some of the trade-offs we have to make. And so, you know, and I think that's one of the cool things to get back to sharks that you'll start to see in some of these uh, uh, documentaries, like there's one called Shark Gangs, where we start to see how much social behavior sharks actually have. And, you know, a lot of these animals have more intricate behaviors and are, are smarter or, you know, so well adapted that that we just haven't recognized it so you know it's it's a cool opportunity to uh to get in and you know, just see these animals in an intimate way
0: yeah and going back to the two documentaries that you'll be involved in and that'll be coming out on the 8th and the 12th with the page winner story part of the documentary is actually going to be investigating on the type of shark that was involved is that yep. correct and what kind of technology, I mean, we talked about a lot of technology here. What kind of technology did you guys use? And I don't want to spoil anything for what's coming up part of the documentary here, but is there anything you could talk about with how, you know, what you did in part of the documentary to figure out you came to the conclusion that it may have been a bull shark?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in that one, we actually didn't have to have a lot of technology to employ um, okay. because it was more after the fact. And so it's more kind of just basic detective work. Okay. You know, what kinds of animals are in the area? What's the habitat like? What kind of year is it? You know, what was the, the nature of, uh, of the injuries? Right. And so we kind of go through those investigations. Now, you know, when we go over to the croc that ate jaws, mm. you know, we've got some cool pieces there, especially uh, with the camera systems on the alligators that also collect data on like how deep they're diving, how fast they're moving, how quick they're coming up and down in the water column. So you can got to get these intricacies of their behavior. And and the same thing on the bull shark of, you know, even when it's in visibility where you can't see anything, we've got electronic ways of figuring out, are they turning fast? Are they swimming fast? Are they rolling on their side? And so, you know, this real high tech sensors uh, are, are super helpful. And then then there are the sensors you don't see on TV, which is the satellites that use space to help us figure out where the heck the tag went as we... Uh, you know, go through the mosquito infested uh, yes, mangrove right. swamps to try to get the camera back because they always end up in the worst possible place. I'm really excited for the crocodile jaws. That uh, me so too. Me too. Yeah. You know, it, there is some cool stuff in there and, uh, you know, we, we donated plenty of blood to the local mosquito population. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs>
0: Yeah. Both of these documentaries sound really fun. I can't wait to watch both of them. I can't wait to Watch the entire six weeks of Shark Fest. I mean, like you were saying, it's so important to get knowledge about this. And and this is a really fun way to get people watching. I saw that also going to go to Disney Plus as well. Eventually, I believe uh, Friday the 16th, it'll be on Disney Plus. And that's just getting it out there to more people. You know, if they miss it on Shark Fest, everyone has Disney Plus now. and you And you get to see the documentaries there. Click on it. And just
1: get involved and learn about sharks. <laughs> and, and the cool thing on Disney+, Plus, I hear they're going to be putting even some of the back episodes on there. So, you know, oh, you can go great. to classics like uh, Shark Kano, uh, which go. is every bit as cool as you think it will. And and so, yeah, there's just so much neat stuff out there. But but this year, some great shows. And, and they'll have the, the Chris Hemsworth uh, special on again. And that one for me was awesome because it has Valerie Taylor in it, who is one of the very first explorers getting in the water, swimming with sharks and, and, uh, really pushing for their protection. And so, you know, seeing her at 85 still getting in the water is pretty darn cool. So awesome! uh, they're all, I'm a fan. Yeah. And I I would like to to get an opportunity to participate as well.
2: That's so fun. Uh, You, and honestly, you can tell, how much you love it. I feel like the, the passion just kind of pops off of the, the zoom screen right now. It does. It did during
0: Jay Leno. Yes. <laughs> however, many years ago, we don't need to say it anymore. It's <laughs> two or three, <laughs> <laughs> two or three years ago. It does through the podcast. I know that our listeners are going to love to uh, check this out just because they're going to be hearing your enthusiasm. Um, we could talk to you forever about yeah. this. Kyle, do I, you have any, I have burning questions burning here Burning question here. Yeah.
2: You've mentioned, uh, I believe twice now, of having time to, uh, to catch up on your shows. and I know you, you fly to Australia. That's a long flight. So what, uh, what kind of shows and movies are your kind of go-tos or what's good stuff you've been watching lately?
1: Well, you know, I have to admit, I am a huge fan of the, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe. So I've been watching Loki, but, uh, also can't wait for Ted Lasso to come back. Mythic Quest, uh, got to catch the last episode there. There So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a, a big fan of those and, you know, uh, Alaska Wildlife Rescue, a buddy of mine is producing that show. And and, and I really enjoy watching that, too. That's so I awesome. uh, can catch that one on Disney Plus and, and Nat Geo Wild and, and got to plug the shark shows right yeah, now. Of course. It's all about watching shark shows. <laughs> of course. Awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, our listeners, we just did WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. They'll be on Disney Plus and they'll see all these new shark documentaries out there. So all we of need our listeners jump over, on. Right, you know,
1: get your listeners to, you know, you need Mike, you know, we 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 need the Mike meets MCU on Shark Fest. There okay. you go. That would yeah. be awesome.
2: <laughs> You're good at this. You're good at
0: this. You are. You are. Um okay, my last couple questions, very basic here. Favorite species of shark for you to study or just in general?
1: Oh man, that's always the hardest question because whatever cool thing I was studying most recently, but recency bias, know, I've yeah, I've got a real a soft spot for tiger sharks. Um, partially because I've spent so much time studying them. You know, they get this rap of being the garbage cans of the sea, but they're amazing animals. They're just kind of cautious. They're not these like you know flitty everywhere. They're kind of chill, but. Boy, they can uh, affect entire ecosystems. Anything that can uh, cut through a sea turtle shell, that's an impressive animal. But, you know, so they're they're probably my favorites, but love the big hammerheads, the great hammerheads. And, uh, you know, really intrigued to start working on some of these deep ocean uh, sharks that we've really only started to learn about. That sounds exciting.
0: That is exciting. And, And also, real quick, back to Aquarius. How many times personally have you actually been down there?
1: You know, uh, I've been down a lot for short trips uh, because when the the Habitat came to FIU, I was one of the few people that could be a working diver. So I had lots of fun time to get down there and help. Unfortunately, now the staff is too big, so they don't need me as much. Oh. But, uh, you know, we're always trying to come up with the, the next cool mission to do down there. And uh, stay tuned now that uh, we're getting out of the pandemic. We're ready to start cranking it back up again.
0: That's great. Well, Dr. Mike Heithouse, you are in- invited to our podcast anytime it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. Marine biologist, marine ecologist, specializing in predator prey interactions and we are going to see that a lot in the next week or so. So guys check that out. again, thank you so much for coming
1: on. Uh, thanks so much for having me, and uh, be great to do it again sometime. Yeah,
2: always Absolute invited, pleasure. Yeah,
1: and it really, yeah, you know, reach out anytime. We got lots of cool stuff going on, always yeah. happy to talk about it and uh, great stuff. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah of, course, of, I mean, of course, of hey, course. Thank a little little you so much for of, coming yeah, on. A little yeah. bit out of
2: our wheelhouse, but it was that was a blast. It really
0: was, and we're excited to watch these documentaries and there you have it dr mike Heighthouse, everyone we could have spoken with him for hours he is a wealth of knowledge and so enthusiastic about his work don't forget to check out national geographic shark fest airing for the next six weeks on national geographic and don't miss dr Heighthouse's two documentaries airing on july 8th and july 12th both of those documentaries as well as many others will also be available on disney plus if you miss it when it airs live and as always if you like what you hear Please subscribe and give us a review on any of your favorite podcast apps. Follow us on social media at Bingetown TV and check us out at www.bingetowntv.com. Once again, we are Bingetown TV and thank you so much for listening. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.